Today on the podcast, our guest is Ben H. Winters, the author of the controversial book, Underground Airlines, which imagines an America where slavery is still legal. This is WSJ Speakeasy, your source for entertainment, pop culture, celebrity, and the arts. Hey, this is Christopher John Farley, a senior editor at the Wall Street Journal. Welcome to the podcast. My guest today is Ben H. Winters. He's the author of a provocative and controversial new book, Underground Airlines. Ben, thanks for talking to the Wall Street Journal. Well, thank you for having me, Chris. I appreciate it. Okay, so people that, people people have not read this book on the beach so far this summer should know what it's about. It's a book that imagines an America that's much the same as contemporary America. Only one thing, one very important thing has changed, and that's that slavery was never ended. It still exists in four states in the South, the hard four. Tell me a bit about what motivated you to write this book. Right. Well, the you know basically, I've always um, loved and admired uh, the category which is called speculative fiction or alternate history fiction. I think there are amazing things you can do to sort of um, reveal truths and, and and ask big questions about the real world by sort of digging into an imagined or, or um, you know parallel version of, of the real world. Uh, and you know, so that's that was my ambition as an author. And then you know, I guess as a as a human, as an American. Uh, I, I have been horrified and distressed, as so many Americans have been um, and remain, by um, by police violence uh, in African American communities, and and not just the the, the very high profile incidents, but the but what they say about the kind of ongoing sort of rolling crisis of, of racism and inequality in our country, and and so I, I think I think those were the two things that came together. I was like, what can I? How can I? approach this subject, what is a way in for me to be thinking about this and, and writing about it um, as a sort of as a mystery writer, as a, as a, you know, as a writer of genre novels, which is what I do. So I started just, I guess, researching and thinking and researching and, and, and building a world. And, you know, it all emerges from slavery. And I think it's something we maybe don't talk about enough when we talk about contemporary racism and contemporary inequality. We don't talk enough about the fact that, that all of this begins with slavery with the fact that our country was founded as a slave state um, and all these attitudes and institutions um, that were, were, were founded at that time and, and under those circumstances. So that's where, it came, that's where the idea of the book came from. That's where the world of the book came from. Now, one fascinating thing that I found about the book, and I'm sure others will find interesting as well, is the part of the actual historical fact in which sort of uh, the book springs from, this so-called Crittenden Compromise. Can you explain what that was, uh, the real Crittenden Compromise, and how it plays into your book? Yeah. I mean, in the build-up to the Civil War, so in the months before before and just after Lincoln's inauguration, there were a series of kind of desperate uh, um, compromises suggested by various parties and by the, by the U.S. Congress. One of them by this, I think it was a Senator Crittenden, who suggested it was sort of a package. It was a legislative package. It would have been six amendments, I think, and a number of um, legislative actions that together would have prevented the Civil War, in part, though, by extending um, slavery indefinitely. And so this, this was one of many failed compromises, um, or one of several failed compromises in real life. Um, what I did was, in my alternate timeline, Lincoln is assassinated in uh, 1861, in February, on his way to be inaugurated. Um, and in the sort of national outpouring of grief and, and um, fear and upset after that happens, the Crittenden Compromise is, re, is sort of dug up 
and and the Congress goes well in, in Lincoln's honor, and you know he's he's martyred himself for the cause of union. We have to find a way to save the union from war. How about this? So they they end up passing this Crittenden Compromise, which includes and the real one did it includes this kind of hail mary um, amendment that says the, the these amendments may never be undone. In other words, it's a self perpetuating amendment that says you can never repeal this amendment. So sort of like the kid who rubs the bottle and gets the genie and says, uh, and I'll have a million more wishes also, please. So it's the sort of thing that you can see Congress's desperation, um, their attempts, and particularly the Southern um, faction, their attempts to keep war from happening, but to maintain slavery. So I, I, I allowed that in my alternate version of America to happen. Yeah. Although your work, your book is a book of, you know, speculative fiction, alternative history, that thing, that Crittenden Compromise was a real thing. And it's just chilling to know that people are actually debating creating an amendment that would extend slavery, keep it permanent, and make an, make an amendment that could never be amended or repealed. The thought of that, yeah. the debate about that, is quite chilling in and of itself. There's a lot that is chilling when you research the history of slavery. And it's something that I... I almost think, like I think everybody should have an obligation, a moral obligation in our country now to go back and read some of these books that I read and do some of the research that I did, you know, because there's so much about the history of slavery that we have this sort of many of us, and I won't say everybody, a lot of people do know all this and have and have thought about it deeply, but like we have this kind of vague sense of slavery as this plantation system, and well, thank goodness it all ended, you know, in, 18, in 1863. But in fact, it was this massive you know, economic engine and these systems, these interlocking, um, you know, hyper-efficient capitalist systems that enslaved so many people over so many, not years, not decades, but generations, and killed and kidnapped and raped so many people. Like, it's it's so much broader and worse than, excuse me, so much broader and, and worse than you can even imagine. Um, so I was chilled over and over again writing the book. And, and, you know, and also just to think about what you became – as I was writing, it became sort of one of the touchstones for me of the, the world of the book, all of the ways that these attitudes and institutions um, have managed to replicate themselves and, and just sort of echo down the, down the years to the present day. It's, it's truly chilling. So um, uh, we're, but, ta- we're talking yeah. to Ben H. Winters, the author of the new novel, Underground Airlines, a book that imagines an America in which slavery still exists, though everything else is the same. Slavery is there, and it's changed America in important and chilling ways. Um, now, whenever uh, a white writer writes about slavery, it sometimes brings controversy. I'm thinking of The Confessions of Nat Turner from 1967, a book by William Styron that was a big prize winner and a lot of critics embraced, but a lot of black writers hated. I mean, I remember reading that book when I was uh, a kid, and I thought this is this is just awful and terrible, and and a lot of a lot of black writers wrote uh, essays attacking that work. What did you do, and what hesitations did you have about tackling the issue of slavery and race in your novel? Uh, you know, I did have hesitation and anxiety for precisely that reason. In fact, I read a lot about Styron and about his the reception of Nat Turner. Um, you know, and, you know, part of me, for me, the big hesitation was making sure that um, I didn't create black, a black protagonist and black characters who were crassly stereotypical 
Um, you know, I wasn't writing my book. Isn't the whole point of it is that it's not set in the antebellum South. You know, so I didn't. Um, none of my characters speak, or I did. I, neither did I attempt for, to make them speak in any kind of like you know um, uh, old timey you know Southern zippity doo dah BS dialect. You know, um, which I think I think one of the reasons that Styron. Well, I don't. I don't want to talk about Styron. I mean, my objective in writing the book was to approach a really important subject. Was to create a good story. Was to approach a really important subject in American history um, and in the American present, and uh, and hopefully be smart about it. You know. So as I've already mentioned, I I steeped myself in research. I talked to a lot of people. You know, like friends and acquaintances and historians about um, some of the experiences that African Americans have in this country now that might um, reflect the history of slavery and. When it came down to it, like, I was creating my character and the characters around him, but particularly my lead character, like, he is an individual person. He is not a uh, quote-unquote um, sort of everyman black person. I wasn't trying to write or make him think or, or speak in the way that I, as a white guy, imagine black people think or speak. He is an individual. He has his individual voice and his individual experiences that, that have shaped him, and my goal was simply to make him real, you know, and... I guess I recognize that there are going, and I respect the point of view that it's never going to be entirely okay for a white man to write a book that is either about racism and slavery and or features primarily a black character. And I respect that point of view, but I, I felt in this case, at least that I, I disagree that it was, this book was important and it was in it. And, and not only is that this book matter to me to write, and that I think it has important things to say, and I think it's a good story, but also that it is incumbent upon white people and white authors to engage with issues of racism and slavery. It is incumbent upon white people to 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 to, to wrestle with and grapple with, you know, and reckon with this history. Well, what I find interesting, I mean, again, I think you're right. We don't want to get into the Styron book, but I think part of the problem with that book was that. In the end, one reading is that Nat Turner did the whole rebellion for the love of a white woman, and and that seemed to rub a lot of people <laughs> the, the wrong way. But oh, did, they, did that? Do you think that rubbed people the wrong way a little yeah, bit? A little bit. I but, mean, yeah, like and like I was conscious when writing my book of the way that people would receive it. I can't pretend that I wasn't, you know. And in my mind, I think there were different readers reading the book and and either rolling their eyes or, or going, oh. You know, or, or going, wow, that's really interesting. You know, you can't help it. Like a book is, is an expression of, of your ideas and it's a work of art, but it's also going to be a cultural object that goes out into the world and is, and is received by people. Um, but, and, and so, you know, those are two separate things in a way. Like I had to at a certain point go, all right, look, I'm writing this. You know, and I know it's a good story, and I know there's, a, there's not only a good mystery and interesting thriller here, but also like some levels, and I know that I – have become sort of carried away by my theme and my world, and like I want to do this. I sort of at a certain point, it's like it's just such a cheesy thing to say, but you start a book and it takes on a life of its own, you know. And I had to go where I wanted to go, and definitely as soon as it came out, I started to hear that response from people. Some people going, "Oh, come on, you know, are we back? Is it Styron again?" Or "Come on, why is this person getting attention for this book when so many authors of color have written about this, um, you know, racism and slavery, and they don't get this kind of attention?" And like. There are valid points being made, you know, and like I, I can't uh, I guess, you know, I can't can I can I can control the book. I can write the book and I can do my very best with it and try to be as honest and open and, and um, you know, make it as good as I can. I can't control the discourse around the book. You know, that's not unfortunately, that's not my part of it. 
you know, that, that it's, it's going to have its own life as a thing in the world. And at a certain point, I got to just go, you know, I hope it all goes OK. Well, well one thing my I character th- does not do anything for the love of a white woman. by the way. <laughs> well, one thing I find interesting is that on one level, the whole point of fiction is to transcend your circumstances, to put yourself in the mind of someone else, whether it's, you know, a rabbit in Watership Down or an elf in The Lord of the Rings or or uh, or a vampire or some other creature. And so and when it comes to race relations, it can be very, very useful in letting people walk in somebody else's shoes. But, and this is part of a theme of your book, um, the very nature of race relations in America mean, means that some people just don't get it. Even even re- read about that, you say, on one of the pages that there's a section where you, you write, he told me that Barton would never get it because Barton's white, but I knew that Cook would never get it either. A northern man, a black man who had never been a slave. We were like creatures of, of different species. And so you're kind of arguing that, yes, there's certain characteristics about people that make it impossible to sort of transcend certain barriers and see their lives from their eyes. So how, did, how, did, how as a novelist, are you able to transcend that and actually get into the head's of different characters from different racial backgrounds. Yeah, I mean, it's a paradoxical statement that we have to make, right? Like, on the one hand, it will never be entirely possible for someone with a certain set of experiences to fully understand and empathize at what it's like to be somebody else with their set of circumstances. And yet we have to try. And yet it is crucially important that we try. So all you can do is do your best and come as vanishingly close as you can to walking in another person's shoes, as you put it, you know, like, and it's, it is, it's like, you, we, we, we desperately want to be able to understand each other better. And yet sometimes we are um, sort of very critical of, of people's inability to fully understand each other. You know, it's like, it's, it's tricky terrain, you know, it's, it's a complicated place to be, um, to be. Uh, And I don't, I don't think you know, I don't, I don't know what else to say about it. Like, that, like I, I will never be an African American man in this country. You know, I will never know what it is like, what it really feels like, to drive my car down the street and be afraid that I'm going to get pulled over for some for some nonsense reason and has to step out of my vehicle and be afraid, be physically afraid that the cops are going to draw on me, no matter what I say. You know, like that that poor man in Florida who laid down on the ground and put his hands up in the air and said, "Please don't shoot me. I'm a behavioral therapist. I'm helping this man," and they shot him anyway. I will never know what that feels like, the violence and the fear of violence and the indignity of that. Um, I think I have a responsibility as a human being um, and as an author to try, to try to imagine what that is like. Um, and, and, and also to try to imagine, to try to think through where those attitudes are coming from um, and, and, and what is, how come we are still there. And that was it. Like, I just, um, so one of the people... As you know, there are a lot of people on, you know, a lot of it is, is on Twitter, of course, who are, you know, upset uh, um, when the book, and it wasn't even just the book, it was, there was a couple articles that kind of were a little hyperbolic and saying, you know, what a brave book. And I, I've sort of tried to disclaim that as much as I can, that but the idea what? of there being some courage. And, and someone said, you know, Ben, someone I don't know, saying, you know, you should write what you know. You don't know what it's like to be black, you know, and like. Again, I respect that point of view, but I disagree. I don't believe in writing what you know. I believe in writing what you want to know, writing what you care about and finding out about it, you know, and pursuing that. So that's – and I, what I wanted to know is why is this still happening? How come our country is still facing these incidents? How come my fellow Americans who have darker skin than I do face stuff that I don't have to? Well, how can that be? You know, 
the answers to me are still flowing out of slavery. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with more with Ben H. Winters, the author of Underground Airlines. I'm Veronica Dagger, and I want to retire rich. How about you? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. We'll help you get there. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. We're talking to Ben H. Winters about his new book, Underground Airlines, a work of speculative fiction that imagines an America, a contemporary America, in which slavery still exists. Okay, Ben, there are two levels to the discussion and some of the controversy about this book. One level is the talk about the writing of it, and two, the acceptance of it in the popular press. And there was one headline in the New York Times that got some attention where in a uh, story about you in the book, it said, in his new novel, Ben Winters dares to mix slavery and sci-fi. And, and some commentators took that issue with that because the whole daring part that other people had written books that touched on and explored slavery and science fiction in the past, everyone from uh, uh, Octavia Butler and Kindred to Samuel R. Delaney to Derek Bell, all black writers who explored the subject. How did you feel yep. about that controversy? Uh, well, it was painful. I mean, it was painful, but I think, let's be honest, like, boo-hoo, poor me. A lot of people suffer a lot worse in this world Um I mean, even on Twitter, a lot of people suffer a lot worse. You know, know what happened to Leslie Jones. All she did was star in a movie about ghosts, and people were screaming racist invected at her for a week, you know? Like, yes, there were a lot of people who, when they saw that article, or just when they saw the headline on the article, started saying, you know, who does this, first of all, who does this man, Ben Winters, think he is? Second of all, has this man never heard of Octavia Butler? You know, does he really think that he invented this? And of course I have. Of course I've heard of Octavia Butler. You know, and I read Kindred, and I've read, I'm reading Fledgling right now. Like, I'm, I'm, I know Octavia Butler. I love Octavia Butler. Um, and actually, you know, that headline, Ben Winters Dares to Make Slavery in Sci-Fi, I, in my opinion, is wrong on two counts. There's nothing daring about it, and I don't even think of this book as sci-fi. I recognize it's speculative, but to me, it's a mystery novel. You know, it's a thriller. And so I think... It, but, and then, and then, of course, from there, it becomes a second-level criticism of, you know, there's a criticism of the media, and there's a criticism of um, the perception of me as being ignorant. There's a perception of, you know, there are so many authors of color who have written about racism and slavery and not gotten anywhere near, you know, a profile in the New York Times is a big deal, and I recognize that. And so it becomes connected to issues of white privilege. Would I be there if I, was, if I weren't white? And, you know, but I think, you know, from the Times perspective, from the authors of the article, her perspective, I think her news hook was, whoa, why is this white guy writing a book about slavery? But then when you look at it from the perspective of other authors or of black readers, go, they go, why is this white guy getting in the newspaper for writing a book about slavery? So it becomes this sort of complicated tangle of issues. And, like, it's only painful for me because I, I – the whole point of the book for me was, was – well, not the whole point. But a large piece of the book was I'm really interested in, in this idea of white supremacy and where it comes from. And, like, and I think that I, as a white person, I think, like I keep saying, it's important that I examine the privilege to which, that I have inherited just by the color of my skin. I think it's important that we think about why some people in this country have advantages and others don't. Like, these are all crucial issues. And then for the novel to come out and suddenly – I am, in some people's eyes, an exemplar of that privilege. Was a was a um, an irony that was almost brutal for me to experience. Although I'll say again, a lot of people do a lot worse in this world. Like I, I should be so lucky that that's the worst worst thing I face in this life. But like, 
I, 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 there was a part of me that wishes I could reach out to every individual African-American author or reader who read that headline and rolled their eyes and go, no, 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 let me explain. You know, like, I, I told the author of the article about Octavia Butler. I said, but, like, she didn't choose to put it in, and there's nothing I can do about that. But, like, I recognize that I came off in the piece as being somewhat smug and self-satisfied and, and frankly, the sort of, like, face of white privilege, um, you know, from the publishing industry. Like, which, by the way, here's another whole sub-issue that I'm sure that you are more aware of than I am. Like, this is a very white industry that we're in, publishing. The, 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 the editors of books and the people who acquire books and the people who write about books in the newspaper are largely white. And that's a whole other issue that I, um, I think I became a little bit of a poster child for in the moment of publication. You know, I saw an interview online with Jonathan Franzen in which he talked about race and um, and he's quoted as saying, well, he's, he's asked this question, have you ever considered writing a book about race? Someone asked Jonathan Franzen. And he responds, quoted as saying, I've thought about it, but this is an embarrassing confession. I don't have many black friends. I've never been in love with a black woman. I feel like if I had, I might dare. Um, and that struck me in a number of ways. One, I wonder if you have to be in love with a black woman to be able to write about race. And two, it seemed to me any novel or book about America, to some extent, is about race, whether it, it could be about the choice you made to not write about explicitly about race, yeah. but writing about white people is still writing about, about race. And how do you feel about what some of your fellow novelists, you know, white and black, their take on writing about race? I'm sure you've had these discussions in the run-up to publishing this book. Yeah, it's really interesting. And actually, I read the Franzen. I happened to have read that last night, the Franzen interview. And a part of me, I sort of put my, my face in my hands. It goes, oh, Jonathan, you know, maybe that wasn't the best thing to say. You know, like he didn't, <clears throat> I don't know him. I'm, I'm saying, oh, Jonathan, uh, sort of in a, a cartoony way. Um, <laughs> I think uh, it's hard. It's really hard because, and I'm not going to say that you know, I, I think saying that you've never been in love with a, a, a black woman and therefore you can't write about race is an almost bizarre way of framing that question. I think probably what he was trying to get at is he doesn't feel comfortable engaging with questions of black and white because he doesn't live in a world of black and white. It sounds to me like what he's saying, that he just doesn't hang out with black people. He doesn't understand. You know, and what I was trying to say, what I've been trying to express to you was like, I actually, th- and I, you know, I, I, I think that even, even if I didn't know any black people, I, even if I didn't have black friends, I think it would still be incumbent upon me in some way to think about the issues that black people face, because to me, it's the most important and kind of pressing issue of our time, you know, and it remains so. Um, <clears throat> and I think that something that novelists are called upon to do in a certain sense is write about things that matter, and it matters so much. Um, I think that there are white authors who will say um, I'm not going to write about racial issues or I'm not going to have black characters because people will say that I'm overstepping my bounds or that I didn't do it right or that these people sound like stereotypes or sort of like how dare you try to express our experience, right, which was a, a, a certain amount of the pushback that I got when, when my novel came out. Basically, like, who do you think you are to be writing about the experience of a black person in America because you're white? But on the other hand, if we meaning white authors as a class of people, put up our hands and say, well, we're just going to write about white people's stuff. Then, as you say, Chris, like, that is itself a racial choice to make, right? Because then we're still writing about race. We're just, we're just saying that white race is more important to write about than the black race. But also, we're kind of we're giving up on, on caring about something that matters so much, you know? And also, like, I feel like there are a lot of sub We could talk about this forever. Like, 
like, look, I'm Jewish, right? I'm a 40-year-old Jewish white man. Does that mean, like, what, so what is my range of acceptable things to write about? 40-year-old white Jewish men? It's like, I, I know less about ultra-Orthodox Jews um, than I do probably about Catholicism. But, but am I more allowed to write about the ultra-Orthodox Jews than I am to write about Catholics or African-Americans because I happen to share a cultural heritage with them? You know, I think it becomes a very tricky and complicated question of who is allowed to write about what. Um, and I think it be- I guess I think someone wrote something. One of the critical pieces about my book was like at least you know, so and so wrote a book about uh, slavery, but they're black. At least they at least they knew how to stay in their lane. You know, in other words, meaning Winters is, is, is out of his lane to write this book. And I know what that expression means in terms of cultural commentary, your take on things, you know, you're not supposed to express an opinion about X if you're an expert in Y. But when it comes into fiction, I think the idea of everybody staying in their lane is it is it is it mixing the medical no, it's not, is it is a dangerous road to go down. You know? Like we have an obligation to one another. We are all part of one civilization here. Okay? And, like, my decision to write about African Americans, like, in my decision not to do that, is it affects uh, uh, us as a cult. You know, uh, the decision of a white person to not mix into the mix, mix up their palette, I guess, and write about things that affect blacks, it affects us as a culture. And I also want to talk about the what's next for the book. I mean, there's been talk of movie and TV interest. Where where is that right now? Will we see a movie version of this? Will we see this on TV, or what's happening? Um, the interest, Chris, is on the television side. Um, it's on the sort of cable side, uh, and and it's in that sort of nebulous development stage. I pushed to and and got to write the pilot myself. Um, so I've written a draft of a pilot, and they are working on it. You know, and they kind of develop these developing stuff so it's like you know who knows what will happen it's the kind of thing where there are a million steps between now and anything being on tv um but that's that's where it is is there a network attached uh, to it right now or no 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 network it's with a studio called legendary that is a film and television studio and they're they're um working on hopefully getting it to to the place where there'll be network interest and have you started your next book or what's next how can you top this well thank you that was a nice way to say that um I am working on a new book uh, that is um, it's a legal thriller, uh, basically. And, and, you know, I think with this novel and with my previous books, The Last Policeman series, I found it really interesting to take, like, genre, um, kind of mystery genre uh, set pieces, like the police procedural or this novel, Underground Airlines, is really it's a bounty hunter book, um, miss, you know, missing person, bounty hunter, and, and, and sort of do interesting things with them. You know, like sort of find ways to use the tropes of the genre to uh, to get into sort of deeper and more interesting um, philosophical or thematic issues. So um, my next book is it is I think it's a legal. Th- I'm really I'm like a hundred pages in. So it's a legal thriller. It has some kind of uh, magical elements to it or science. I don't know what they are. Some weirdness going on. And uh, it's about identity. And it's about identity and like how we come to be the people we are. Kind of. And um, the one thing that struck me is because in this book, Underground Airlines, throughout the book. Real people pop up, you know, people like Michael Jackson. There's a Michael Jackson theme, James Brown, and also yep. uh, uh, Henry Kissinger, who you kind of portray that as uh, <laughs> almost a guy who's an apologist for slavery, and he's still alive, right? I wonder, I wonder how he feels oh, about yeah. this. Do you want to think you'll hear from him? No, I mean, look, if I get a cease and desist letter for Henry Kissinger, I'm going to frame it. You know, that's going to be the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, yeah, but I have Kissinger pop up as. Um, 
I think in his role as Secretary of State in the 1970s, he gives a quote withdrawing the United States from the United Nations because they're getting a lot of condemnation for continuing the practice of slavery. Um, and that's part of, you know, Kissinger and real politic. You know, we are not going to be allied with people who, if the alliance does us no good. Um, yeah, I, I did. The book is sort of is woven through with references to the real world, you know, because it isn't a different world. That's sort of the point. It is the same world, but fractured and altered somewhat. Um, and to me, you know, it's important that we the reader feels like they are still in a recognizable reality. And I also think, and it becomes sort of a philosophical issue, but someone with the talent and the sort of the force of personality of Michael Jackson, regardless what version of what dimension of American history he was born into, he would still make his impact. You know, he would still be important in some way. So I think that's how he got in there. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, yeah, I, I want the book to be fun seems like the wrong word for a book who's, with the theme of which is slavery and a, and a crisis of conscience and, like, what do we do to hurt each other without knowing. You know, those are sort of the themes of the book. But, like, it is hopefully fun in its way. You know, I hope that it satisfies the, the um, it, it hits the buttons of the genre thriller, that we are in, intrigued by the mystery, that we follow the, the thread where it leads, that we are shocked by the twists and turns, and we have those pleasures throughout, even as we are being forced to grapple with the, the cultural horror, you know, the political and economic horror of slavery. Well, see, and that spurs sort of one last question. When you're dealing with something like slavery, I mean, essentially a, a novel, a mystery, is an entertainment, but you never want to be entertained by slavery. I mean, Quentin Tarantino with his movie Django Unchained kind of ran into that, where he was making uh, an adventure movie, but it was about slavery. And how do you balance that without, you know, um, you know, really uh, doing a disservice to the to the core of the story? Is that something you're 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 conscious of as you're doing this, or um, what are your thoughts about that? Balancing entertainment that thing, with meaning. That, yeah, that is the thing I was most conscious of throughout. And I said this in a lot of interviews. I think I even said it, I hate to, you know, I said it in the New York Times interview, and of course it wasn't printed. Like, to me, the most important thing that I want readers to know, if they can know anything, is that this is not me as an author using slavery and racism as the backdrop for a zany, exciting, twisty, turny adventure novel. This is me as an author using the, the sort of tricks and the tropes of my genre as a way to think about, to get into um, something that is crucially important to our history and to our past and to our, uh, to our present and to our future as a society, which is, which is the legacy of slavery and, and, and contemporary racism and, like, state racism. You know, like, this is me doing what I know how to do, which is hopefully tell a good story in a mystery, in a mystery genre, doing what I know how to do um, and using it to, to, to get into something that matters so much. Well, great. We've been talking to Ben H. Winters the author of the new novel, Underground Airlines. Ben, thanks a lot for talking to the Wall Street Journal. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the show. We've been talking to Ben H. Winters, the author of the novel, Underground Airlines. For more podcasts, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Podcasts. Become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and now look for us on the Google Play Music app, on Android devices. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.